You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Love that song and that thought. And don't let the world convince you that you gave up so much to follow Jesus. Um, I mean, think about all that you would have to deal with if you didn't follow Jesus. I mean, it, we didn't lose much. We gained everything. Amen. And I'm grateful for that truth and grateful to have, um, have the family singing this morning. Also grateful to be done playing the piano. So, okay, now that the pressure is off, okay. Genesis chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning. Genesis 9. And uh, as you find it, let's stand together and honor the reading of the scripture. Genesis chapter 9, it's the final message today dealing with the great flood in Genesis. And Noah and his family have been spared from the judgment of God because of Noah's choice to follow God in righteousness even when it's difficult. There's a lot of lessons to be learned in the life of Noah with the flood especially, but, but that's the one we really need to take away is if we will simply follow God in righteousness, he'll take care of our greatest needs. And I'm grateful for that truth. Today's message deals with uh, our responsibility to God in light of God's promises to us. See, God makes promises, God obligates himself, but that doesn't mean that we no longer have responsibility. We do. Look at Genesis 9. We'll begin reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 17. It says, verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat." And surely your blood of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. And you be ye fruitful, and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. Verse 8, And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you, an important word, and with your seed after me, after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the dark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the token or the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, a rainbow, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth 
that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it. I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Here we see, and and we'll notice, we'll look at it, the first half of the chapter, or the, the text is, it's a perfect balance between the first and second half, a perfect balance between uh, man's responsibility to God and God's promises to man. And a lot of Christians think because God obligates himself to us that we are resolved from all responsibility. Almost as if, well, God is God and he's made these promises and therefore I, I'm free or released from my responsibilities to him, but that's not true. See, sure, he makes promises and he establishes covenants, but we have responsibility. God will always be faithful to us, Amen. He'll always be faithful to us, but we must determine that we will be fruitful for him. See, that's our focus this morning is these two, this phrase, God says, you be fruitful and I'll be faithful. You be fruitful, I'll be faithful. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you bless the reading of your word, help our time together to be profitable. Help me, Lord, you know the struggle that in my own mind I've had to just come to terms with how to convey this this morning. I pray that you would just provide extra grace today. And, and, and I pray that you bless your word. And I pray that the power of the word will be that which we focus on today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I remember my very first job as a kid. My parents are here, so I thought maybe I'd go back a little bit in the time capsule this morning. I remember my first job as a fifth grade boy. I uh, we lived um, outside of town, we, there in Evanston, Wyoming, and just down the road from us was a dog kennel. And that dog kennel, um, you know, it wasn't far, there wasn't much else out where we lived, and, and I, I decided one day that I'd like to have a job. So I wanted to go, you know, find a place to work and maybe make some extra money, so I said, there's a dog kennel, I mean, not even two-tenths of a mile down the road, probably, I'm going to go see if they'll let me be a, to have a job at the kennel, I thought, well, surely, you know, they'll make me something important like, you know, the, the kennel vet or, you know, something big. So I walked in and, and talked to them and, and they said, yeah, we, actually, we do have a, something for you to do. We've got a job and we'll pay you for it. And they handed me a shovel and a wheelbarrow. And they said, your job is to clean the yard where we walk the dogs. So that was my first job. And it wasn't what I was expecting at all. I wanted a job. And so in great humility, I started cleaning up after the dogs, one wheelbarrow at a time. And I remember when I first got my very first paycheck, and I was thrilled that just a few, hour a, week, a few hours a week could turn into like $20. It's a big deal. That's when I began to learn the value of taking responsibility, though. And from that point on, I would do my job, and the kennel would pay me. It was a straightforward arrangement. But suppose that I wanted to switch things up, and one day I went in, and I had really earned some credibility with the company, and as an 11-year-old, I walked up to the counter and said to the owner, said, now that I have this job, and I, now that I've been paid, I'm only, I just want you to know, I, I'm, I'm changing my schedule, and I'm only going to show up when I want to, 
And I'm only, only going to do wheelbarrow duty when it's convenient for me. Now, if I had tried that, uh, how long do you think the kennel would have continued to pay me? Not very long at all. You see, just because I had employment and just because I'd already been paid once, it didn't mean I was absolved of my duties. I still had a responsibility to produce for my employer if I expected to be enriched by my employer. And in many ways, Genesis 9 is similar to that concept, not just because I think somebody in Noah's family had wheelbarrow duty on the ark, which is probably likely, but you also then have two parties involved. See, God is on one side. He's party member number one. You've got him in the contract, but then you have everything else alive on planet Earth. Because this covenant is not just with Noah, and it's not just with his family. It's for every living creature on Earth. And even though God has shown tremendous mercy to Noah and his family and all of these animals, it doesn't mean they don't, that Noah and his family don't still bear some responsibility. It's not as if God makes a promise and we sit back the rest of our lives and we don't bear any more responsibility. No, we have continued responsibility. And I know the chapter or this text ends in a rainbow. It's a sign of God's promises. But God's promises don't absolve us of responsibility. And this chapter starts with a commandment from God. He says, yes, I, you have a promise that I'll never destroy the earth with water again. But you still have a responsibility. And your responsibility is this. You've got to be fruitful. You be fruitful. He says in verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. He tells Noah here, each piece of the blessing and instruction here has to do with life. Okay, So that's what God, God obviously values life. And so every part of the, the passage here is, has something to do with life. In verse 1, he tells Noah, multiply life. And this is parallel to the blessing given to Adam in Genesis chapter 1, by the way. It's very similar language. Here in chapter 9, God blessed Noah and his sons. In chapter 128, God blessed them, according, according to Genesis 1, that's Adam and Eve. Blessing means enriched beyond its normal quality. And it means that most, so most of God's creation, when he created it, it was good in and of itself. But there were parts of creation that weren't just good, they were blessed. And part of that would be mankind in reproduction and the animal life in reproduction. And what basically what it is is that God gave mankind and he gave animals the ability to procreate. Now, they couldn't create, meaning they couldn't make something out of nothing, but God blessed them and allowed them to have the opportunity to procreate. They could reproduce after their kind. That's what it means to be blessed. It wasn't just good, it was blessed, and that they were enriched, and that they could produce more than all the rest of creation. Here in chapter 9, verse 1, he says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish. And that means that, that we are to fill the earth with human life. In chapter 1, God had told Adam, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. See, folks, God's desire for mankind has not changed. God wants to bless mankind and see him fill the earth with human life. That's, a, that's the plan for man. Next, then, God tells them how to sustain life. Look at verses 2 and 3. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. So here we see, start to see a responsibility in their relationship to the animals. 
And Noah and his sons were to have dominion over the animals. That, that took place in Genesis 1 as well. But this one is a little bit different. See, the one in Genesis 1, uh, the animals were in submission to man. But now there seems to be a fear of mankind, which is that that is now the typical response of most of the animal kingdom. I, I was able to go hunting, uh, pheasant hunting yesterday, my first South Dakota pheasant hunting experience. And uh, they were, let me just say this, they were very afraid of us. So afraid, actually, that they left where they were well before we got close enough to shoot them. So, very afraid of us. We still had a great time. Um, but the, it was just, I mean, he says in verse 2, The fear of you, the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air. That was on my mind yesterday. Those pheasants, they have a fear, they have a dread, a natural fear of mankind um, because God changed the relationship here in that in Genesis 1, um, Adam and Eve were simply to eat of the vegetation. But here in Genesis 9, praise the Lord, right men, we go from vegetarians to meat eaters. And he, may, he says it's all available. It used to be that their diet was plant-based. And, and we could go into that more, but uh, a meat-based diet is God's, it's God's will for man. And it's absolutely, there's nothing morally wrong with it, Okay. Um, so, I mean, whether or not somebody chooses to do that, just don't buy into the argument that it's cruel to eat animals when God's the one that ordained this for us. So what we see is a hierarchy that God is, God is ordaining from the beginning in that there's a clear distinction between the importance of man and the animal kingdom. Those who value animal life above human life have it all backwards. And there are plenty of movements out there that value the animal kingdom above human life. And I'm, listen, I'm not saying we have the license to be cruel or that we have license to be wasteful. But the day that we elevate animal life over human life is the day we strike a major imbalance. It's not God's intention for an animal to be more important or seem more important than a human. And, it just, and I'm just going to say this in passing. And you'll understand, but when you can legally get an abortion in the same city that you could go to jail for animal cruelty, we are way off on this. Verse 4, he says, But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. So he does say, You may eat of the animal kingdom. He says, But there's certain conditions in this. He says, The blood is the life of the animal. And most readers here, if they read this, they would have understood this, this to mean that you must kill an animal and spill its blood before you eat it. And that's natural when you kill a deer and you, you drain it of its blood. You know, that's natural. We understand it. And that's what he's telling them, that you don't eat the blood. It's a reminder that the life of the animal belongs not to man, but to God who gave it. See, the blood is the life of that animal. And it's not ours to do with what we want. It's also our treatment of the animal is a reminder to value life, even an animal's life. We ought to value it. It's also, there are many things, and we're not going to get into this much, but it's also a look ahead to the blood atonement, both of animals in the temple, but also of Jesus Christ who shed his precious blood so that we could have life. The blood is not ours to do with what we will, and I know there are certain cultures that use the blood in different ways, but according to this passage right here, blood represents life, and it's not ours to do with, with what we want. Then God tells Noah to protect life. Look at verses 5 and 6. Surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man." 
And the idea here is that if we're to have respect toward an animal's life, if we're to have respect toward the blood of an animal, how much more should we respect the life of a man? See, any death, what he says here in verse 5, basically he says any death or murder or killing of a man, the, that which is responsible deserves to be killed. It's, this is referring to capital punishment. He says in verse 5, even animals. He said, surely your blood of your lives will I require even at the hand of a, of a beast. If you get killed by a beast, that, that, that beast should be put to death because it took, to, took the life of, of somebody uh, that I value, of the life of a person. But he says then, and, and at the hand of man also. He says, even at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. And what he's saying is that if, if there is something responsible for killing, whether it be an animal or whether it be a person, then, then I am for capital punishment. He says, if they take the life of another person, then their life should be taken in return. And I know, again, that's not a popular thing to preach, and it's not a popular thing to talk about, but it's a biblical thing to talk about, and that God values the life of mankind. God values every person's life, and it makes you wonder when he says, even if a brother kills his brother, I'll require the blood at that man's hand. It makes you think if he's referring to Cain and Abel. You know, the very first murder in the Bible, that infamous murder. But look at verse 6, and it sheds a little bit more light. The ultimate reason murder is offensive is he said, Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Listen, we are made in God's image. Anyone that takes the life of a person made in God's image is responsible for marring God's image and must bear the consequences. A life for a life. And in many ways, we even right here see the seeds of human government planted. Because he, he basically is laying, he said, Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man, somebody must take responsibility to make sure that justice is served. And, and that is, an, that is a, force, a foresight into the seeds of government being planted right here. There would have to at some point be an institution that provides oversight or punishment of those who commit murder. Look at verse 7. And you be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. So here we have the first half of this text. There's a lot to get through here. I'm going quick. The first half of this thought unit closes with a repeat of God's commandment to be fruitful and multiply. So our takeaway today, folks, is this, that God values life and we should too. God values life and we should too. We should value it so much that everything about our lives is to produce life. That's the task that God's called every one of us to. And there are many applications to this, and I can't get into all the exceptions, and I understand that. But listen, God values children, for instance. Don't let a twisted culture convince you husbands and wives that being a parent is not a noble calling. And it seems like there is a, there's this trend or this mindset uh, that, that we're overpopulating the earth and that, that we need to uh, do something different to put a limit on how many children are being born. That is exactly opposite of what God commanded mankind from the very beginning. He says, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. The other thing that I take from this is that God doesn't take murder lightly. We've already looked at that. We shouldn't take murder lightly. Every life matters to God. It should be the view of a Christian that a life is not mine to take. Whether in murder or in abortion, it's not a political issue. That's a biblical issue, folks. 
whether in murder or in abortion or in suicide or in the growing trend of of euthanasia, mercy killing. Listen, it is not our job, it is not our responsibility to take the life of another person. I understand there are, there are exceptions and in times of war and things like that, but, but it is not ours to take in, in murder. It's not ours to just take and end a human life. That, life is God's, and he gives it, and he values it, and he takes it. Spiritually speaking, though, God values our spiritual lives. See, we should value our spiritual lives above everything else. We focus plenty on our bodies. We, I mean, in this day and age, you have lots of people focusing on their bodies. There are a lot of people focusing on their education. A lot of people focusing on themselves in every way except their spiritual lives. And God wants you to live a full and happy and abundant Christian life. And listen, he's given you every resource uh, available to do it. So why would you settle for lifeless Christianity when it could be overflowing Christianity? Why would you settle? And yet we do. Uh, why would we settle to just to settle down here and kind of just barely get by and barely operate when Jesus Christ said, I'm come that they might have life and they, that they might have it more abundantly. He wants us, he values life. He values your spiritual life. And, and we're get, we could talk more about it, but we're going to get into more application later. As a summary, I just want to say, here's God's message to, to Noah and his family. And therefore, here's his message to us as well. He says, you have one job on this planet, and that is you be fruitful. You be fruitful for me. You serve me. You obey me. You work for me. Folks, it's time for us to be fruitful for God. That's our responsibility. I mean, he has saved you from the wrath of judgment to give you a new start and a life uh, uh, being fruitful. That's what he wants from you. So my question is, as we close this part of the the, the sermon, how fruitful are you for God? What are you producing for God? What evidence in your life points to a fruitful life? And honestly, we could start, stop there and we could preach and give application after application. But I want to get the second half of this and then we'll come back with some more application later because the thought is kind of balanced in verses 8 through 17. The first seven verses of this chapter deal with our responsibility, but the second half of the, of the passage deals with God's promises. Commentator Alan Ross said the narrative unit provides a nice balance delineating the responsibilities and laws for Noah, and then the promises and the sign from God. So that's kind of how it's broken up. The first seven verses are God is saying, here's your responsibility, here are the laws, here's how I want you to operate. And then the last half of the passage is he says, now here are my promises, and here is my sign, he says. He gives them promises and a sign, and it's called what many call the Noahic covenant. The Noah, N-O-A-H, Noahic, Noahic covenant. It's the first covenant mentioned in scripture. Look at verse 8. It says, And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, of every, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. This is the first covenant mentioned in the Bible. And the idea of a covenant 
is established on a promise. It starts with a promise. One definition is this. A covenant is an agreement that involves obligations and benefits for the parties involved. So that's the idea. It's a, it's a promise. It's a, it's a contract. And there are a few major biblical covenants in Scripture. You've got this covenant with Noah. You have the Abrahamic covenant with Abraham. That in that covenant was, was, was regarding Israel as God's people through Abraham. Then you also have uh, the Mosaic covenant, which is the law of God. That if, if they would obey that covenant and obey God's law, that he would, they would... They would be his people. You also have the Davidic covenant, which is that the Messiah would come through David's line. And then you also have the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And he says, this is my blood. This is the new, the Bible says testament. It's the same word. This is the new covenant. And that's Jesus Christ then offering his blood for the redemption of sinners by grace alone in the New Testament. You have these major covenants. And by the way, let me say this. Be thankful for the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Because the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenants, those were for the Jewish people. But when they rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah of the Davidic covenant, Jesus Christ then turned to the Gentiles, which that's most everybody in here. He turned to the Gentiles and he said, listen, my covenant originally uh, with the Abrahamic, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, it deals with the Jews. But this is a New Testament. This is a new covenant. And he says, and now I'm not just turning my attention to the Jews. I'm turning to the Gentiles. And I'm saying, they have rejected me. And I'm not done with them yet. I'm still working through them. But I'm going to set them aside. And for a time, I'm going to make salvation by faith through grace and the blood of Jesus Christ available to every person that's ever been born, Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. He made it available to you. Salvation is available to you. And I say that today because there may be somebody in here and you don't know anything about salvation. You've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And and you're in your sin and it's weighing you down. And you're not sure that you have any way to escape the, the hopelessness that comes because of sin. And let me just tell you this. There's a covenant out there. It came through Jesus Christ. And he died on a cross and shed his blood. And he will wash your sins away and give you an eternal home in heaven with him forever. That's the covenant you should be thankful for this morning. It's the covenant that could change your life today. It's a new covenant. It's a new thing. And that Jesus Christ opened his arms on the cross and said, my blood's available to anybody who'll take it. It doesn't matter what blood flows in your veins. It matters if you, by faith, have received Christ and his blood has forgiven you of your sins. Every covenant is significant in God's design. This Noahic covenant is the first one in Scripture. And it, and it seems to have less to do with, with God's plan through, through Israel and things, but it's important because it's the first one. Sometimes covenants were conditional. Sometimes covenants were unconditional. Sometimes you had to do your part and they would do their part. This one is the promise that God made to Noah and, and his descendants that he would never destroy the earth with water again. And there are a few things about it. First, it is unconditional in that there's no I'll do this if you do that. This was a promise that God is making and he's gonna ha- it's going to happen no matter what anybody else did about it. In fact, um, look at verse 15 of chapter 9. It says, it says, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me. Look down at verse 16. And the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember. That's interesting. The rainbow, folks, I love to see a rainbow. I mean, they're beautiful. 
Sometimes you can almost see that they stretch from the earth all the way to the sky, which I think is symbolic as well, and that God is making a promise from heaven and it extends to every person on the earth. But you look at a rainbow and it's beautiful, but you know the rainbow is not really there for us. It's actually a sign for God, he says. It's a sign for me, he says, that I'll remember. And you say, well, God can't forget what he taught. No, it's just a reminder to him that he has made this covenant. And what it's saying is that this, this promise is fully on his shoulders. This is not about us. Well, as long as we do what we're supposed to do, he'll never flood the earth again. No, he has made the promise never to flood the earth universally ever again. Second, this is a universal covenant. It's made to Noah, it's made to his descendants, and it's made to every living creature. It's a covenant with the earth in general. See, God would never judge the earth with a worldwide flood. It's a promise. Third, it comes with a sign, and that the token or the sign of the promise was the rainbow. And that's what the rainbow symbolizes. And again, I don't want to get into all this other stuff today because we're trying to work through this. But, it, but we have now today what, what they've done, what the, what the world has done and taken um, the rainbow and tried to make it symbolize something um, that is totally outside of what God would ever even approve of. It's just another example of how man takes what represents God and twists it to represent something that God would never be happy with. When you see a rainbow and you see a flag and you, you see that symbol, remember what it means is this. It's not about a lifestyle. It means that God is merciful to mankind. And when God could judge us in whatever way he wants to, he shows restraint. And it's just ironic then that, that living a lifestyle without restraint uses the same symbol that, that is a symbol of God's restraint in mercy to mankind. Here's the takeaways that the Noahic covenant is based on God's faithfulness. It has nothing to do with us. I mean, it, has, it does affect us, but, I, but God's not going to you know, get rid of the covenant if I do something wrong. It's a covenant that he has taken upon himself. And listen, here's where we start to make the transition into the kind of the point that I want to make this morning. We serve a God who will always do what he says he'll do. He is faithful. I was hoping to get a few amens there. I mean, it, it's true. Noah could look at the next rainstorm differently. You know, he could, the next time it starts raining, Noah and his family, they haven't seen much rain before the flood, but, but after they get off the ark and they're starting to establish their lives, can you imagine the uh, post-traumatic stress that would come the next time they feel a raindrop? And they're thinking, oh no, here it comes again, and we don't have an ark this time, what are we going to do? I, you know, but God made a promise. And he said, I will never flood the earth in a universal way like that. Now, there have been other regional floods, but he doesn't promise that those won't happen. He just says, but in terms of judging the whole earth with water, I'll never do it again. And what this does is it gives Noah some, a peace of mind the next time it rains that God will keep his word. You know, God took the burden of this unconditional covenant on his shoulders, and he was so serious about it that he gave him a sign of a promise. And he's telling Noah and his family the whole, on the whole earth. He's, you, know, you know what he's telling him? He's saying, listen, I'll be faithful. See, listen, remember God's message to Noah in the first seven verses? You be fruitful. You live for the things that matter the most to me. You, you serve me. You obey me with all your heart. What he's saying is, listen, you be fruitful and I'll be faithful. You be fruitful, you produce for me, and I'll do what I say I'm going to do because that's what I do. I'm faithful, you're fruitful, I'm faithful. 
You do what you're supposed to do. I'll do what I've promised to do. You put me first in your life and be as fruitful as you can be, and I'll be faithful and I'll keep my word. That's what I'll do. You be fruitful and I'll be faithful. See, God's saying, do your job. Just do your job. And to us, he says, just obey me. For us, that means that we should do what his word says. We should read it. We should follow it. We should make it a part of our lives. We should make this a priority. We, that's us being fruitful. He says, to us, he says, serve. Get involved and follow me. Be involved in my work. Arrange your life so that, so that I'm first in everything about your life. That's being fruitful. He says, value life. Love what I love. Value what I value. Stop living for yourself. I love people. I love every life. So look outside yourself and value what I value and and reach people and be a blessing to people. And if you will be fruitful, what he's saying is, if you'll be fruitful, I'll bless you. I'll enrich your life. I'll take you from something down here that you could do on your own to something up here that only I could do in your life. If you're fruitless or fruitful, I will bless you. If you do what you're supposed to do, I'll enrich you. And, and God says, if you, you be fruitful, you do your job, and I'll do my job. I'll be faithful. So I'll keep my word. And, and I'll provide for your every need. I'll instruct you in the way. I'll lead and I'll direct you through the storms of life. I'll even show you mercy when you don't deserve it. And what he's saying, this message to us is, you be fruitful, I'll be faithful. That's the agreement. And there will be times where, where we're, we're trying to be fruitful, and we're, we're trying to do what we're supposed to do, and yet it's not obvious that he's responding in any way. Well, that's, that, that is not the condition uh, for serving or not. We simply continue to be fruitful, and we have a promise from him that he'll be faithful. And we may not see the end of it. We may not understand how it all works out. And it may be hard right now. And you may not understand. You're saying, I've tried to be fruitful. And I've tried to serve God. And I've tried to put him first in my life. But I'm not seeing anything from him. Just wait. Listen, if he tells you to be fruitful, uh, and, and he says, I'll be faithful, he will someday, his word will come true. He always keeps his promises. And that's the idea behind this passage But there's a balance to it. There's a twist. See, understand, God's blessings for fruitfulness don't have anything to do with the rainbow necessarily. The rainbow is its own thing. But what he tells Noah through this passage about being fruitful and I'll bless you, that doesn't have anything to do with the rainbow. The promise not to judge the earth with a flood is unconditional. That'll happen. That will never happen again no matter what. It doesn't depend on me. But God's blessings in our lives are dependent on our fruitfulness. See, the rainbow just reminds us that God keeps his word. The, the rainbow doesn't let us off the hook. It reminds us that God will be faithful to his word. Here's the truth that we need to remember as we go through this, is that God is faithful to the blessings when we're fruitful. But he's also faithful to the consequences when we're not. See, he's faithful to the blessings when we're fruitful. He'll make sure that we are blessed if we're fruitful. But he also has an obligation to make sure that we face the consequences when we're not. See, God's faithfulness doesn't only apply to blessings. 
And maybe you've never thought about that, about that before, but listen, this is a positive chapter. God's telling Noah after this catastrophic event in which the whole earth was judged, he wants to bless Noah. He wants to start life over. He wants to restart. He wants to bless. And by the way, that's God's heart for you. Did you know that? God's heart for you is that he, he may at times exercise judgment and it may not always be easy, but he wants it to result in a new start for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, I love the verse. I, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That's what he wants for every one of us. He wants your life to be enriched. He wants your life to be abundant. He wants to, even when you, when you fail and you have to come through judgment, he wants you to start new and start fresh. He doesn't want to beat you up over it, uh, over our past mistakes. He wants you to have life and he wants you to have a restart. He wants your life to be blessed. That's his desire. But even in the midst of all these promised blessings, and maybe you didn't notice or maybe you did, there are still conditions placed on the blessings. In verse 4, he had told him, with the flesh which is the flesh which is the life, or with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. And then he says, And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of a beast, at the hand of a man, at the hand of every man's brother. Verse 6, whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. I mean, so you understand what we see is this, is that, yes, God wants to bless us, but if we don't do what he asks, he, he, he doesn't always bless us. I mean, he wants us to be fruitful and he wants us to value life, but if we don't do things the, the way that he asks us to, he's not obligated to just make life easy for us. He'll judge our sin. See, God's nature of faithfulness means he'll bless our fruitfulness, but it also means he'll judge our sin. A rainbow isn't licensed to live however we want. I know that's the symbol the world says. But a rainbow isn't licensed to live how we want. A rainbow is a reminder of his mercy, but it doesn't mean we no longer have responsibilities. See, God is faithful no matter what. This is interesting, and I hope you're, I don't know if I'm getting it across. If we, but 2 Timothy says, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. See, God's character is that of faithfulness. He's always faithful, no matter what. He can't change. He can't be anything but faithful. So that means that every word he speaks will come true. Every promise he makes to a hurting person will come to pass. And we say, yes, God, thank you. You're faithful. Every promise you make to a hurting person will come to pass. And I'm just going to hold on to that, your faithfulness. But it also means that every judgment he makes on sin will also come to pass. He's faithful to the blessings when we're fruitful, but he's faithful to the judgment when we're not. His faithfulness is not always only positive. He's consistent. He never changes. But sometimes it means that he'll have to deal with our sin because he said in his word that he would. His word is as good as done. And we often view his faithfulness as just the positive, but it simply means he's always consistent, positive or negative. And that means that he's faithful with blessings when we're fruitful, and it means he's faithful with judgment when we're not. God wants you to enjoy the rainbow. He does. It's a picture of his heart. It's a picture of his blessing. It's a picture of his faithfulness. But maybe you stop being fruitful. And your life, your church life is hit and miss. And you say, well, preacher, you sure do talk about church a lot. Well, that's kind of my job, number one. But second, a lot of times that's, that's the first outward sign that, that you're not being fruitful. 
is when church is no longer a priority in your life. And at some point, you decided to back off and you decided to say, well, you know, I've got other things going and I've got a lot of things to do and, and, and I'm just busy, and, but you've stopped being fruitful and maybe at some point you decided you were not going to serve in some capacity anymore and you stopped maybe reading your Bible and you stopped praying, you stopped being fruitful. Your heart for God has disappeared. In other words, you're no longer fruitful, but don't forget God values life. He doesn't want you to live a secondary life. He doesn't want you to live settled. His purpose for you is to be full of life and vibrant and not just settled, but abundant and overflowing. He wants your Christian life to have meaning. But right now, you're not valuing the things he values. I mean, he values a church family, and you're not valuing that. He values serving and following him, and you're not really doing much for him. He values being, having the fruit of the Spirit, and there's not much of that evident in your life. And you have a rainbow reminding you of his mercy, but you've stopped being fruitful. And instead of God's blessings, now then you're dealing with the consequences of fruitlessness. And I believe many of God's people grow complacent because of the rainbow. See, the rainbow represents the fact that we won't have to go through God's ultimate judgment of our sin. And for us, we may not have a rainbow, but we have a cross. And it's a reminder of God's mercy. It's a reminder that I'll never have to go through judgment like that. It's very similar to the rainbow. We've placed our faith in Christ. We're saved and we know it. We have assurance. We have eternal security. And, and he wants us to know it by giving us a token of his faithfulness, a symbol. It's a cross. And we have his, a cross. We have his word. We have these symbols of his faithfulness. We know he's faithful. We know he will keep us. But instead of taking that security and being fruitful, we've grown complacent. Because we know that, that our eternity is secure. Because we know that that cannot be taken away from us. We look at the symbol of God's favor and mercy. And then we just sit back and say, well, I'm good. I don't, I, I mean, I, I don't have to try as hard anymore. I know I'm settled. I know where I'll be when I die. So it's not that important for me to be as committed anymore. We have a home in heaven, but we no longer take our responsibility to be fruitful seriously. And this is something that every Christian deals with, folks. The longer you're saved, the more complacent we tend to become. And if God has shown me that kind of mercy, that kind of mercy... On the cross, the least I can do is be fruitful for him. The least I can do is live for him with all my heart. And yet countless of God's people look at a token of God's mercy like the cross or a token of God's faithfulness like his word, and they're no longer moved by it. It no longer affects them. It doesn't drive them to be motivated. But let me just remind you that when you stop being fruitful, it doesn't mean God stops being faithful. He still will be faithful to be good to us, but he'll also be faithful to deal with that sin of complacency in the life of a Christian. And if God remains faithful, why don't you be fruitful? And it's time for some of us to stop being complacent to stop being a vine that's producing nothing for the Lord. This is our responsibility, to be fruitful. And yet some of us, we've gotten so used to the token of God's mercy that we no longer produce fruit 
for him. Some have stopped being faithful again to a church out of complacency or out of the habit. It's been a strange year. And I can understand why some are careful. But I also believe the lack of church attendance is making a lot of God's people unfruitful. They're developing a habit that likely won't change when all this is over. They stop coming. They stop giving. They stop serving. They stop caring. Don't treat church in such a way that God has to transfer his faithfulness from blessing to consequences. Because listen, he's faithful. He will always keep his word. He'll always keep his promises. But I want to be over here being fruitful so that he can take his faithfulness and apply it to blessings. Otherwise, if I'm over here and I have empty hands, he'll still be faithful. He'll still keep his word. But he might apply his faithfulness to the consequences in my life rather than the blessings in my life. And so by choosing to be fruitless, I'm choosing consequences over blessings. Don't miss, don't, don't treat church in such a way that he has to transfer his faithfulness from blessing to, to consequence. Don't lose sight of the, the value in a local church as the place that God's people grow into what they're supposed to be in Christ. And we've got some, I, I'm, I think it's time for some to say, you know what, I'll be committed to this local church. Not just in attendance, but say, I'm going to, th- I'm going to be all in here. In our family, we're going to be here and we're going to be committed. We're going to join and we're going to serve and we're going to be active because we want to be fruitful. We don't want to be just sit and just be empty vines. Don't miss the value of a church family and encouraging and edifying you. We need it, folks. I mean, remember what it was like when we weren't meeting for the two months or so and the first service back. I mean, my wife gave a testimony Tuesday, the first service back. You're like, I didn't even realize how much I needed this. It's just a blessing. Don't grow complacent to the value of your spiritual life and replace it with other Sunday activities. It's amazing to me how many activities and baseball and sports and you know, meetings are on Sundays now. Sundays are the Lord's day. Be in his house. Be fruitful. Has your spiritual life become unfruitful? I mean, in your walk with God, have you you grown complacent? Maybe you see the cross and like the rainbow, you know God won't judge you for your sins. So you say, I'm good, I'm safe. I'm his child, I'm saved. But there's no more spiritual fruit in your life. You don't have the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to Galatians 5, love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And you're noticing in your own life, you know, let's just take one for instance. You know, we've got love, joy, peace. Let's just take joy. You can just see in your own life, there's no real joy. And you're just existing. And you're operating every day. You're doing what you're supposed to do. And maybe you and your family, you're still in church and you're even serving and you're doing everything you're supposed to do. But man, I mean, it's everything you can do. Just not just lose it at all times. You're just on edge. And maybe your wife and your wife notices or husbands are noticing it in your wives. And there's something there that's missing. It's the fruit of the spirit. See, the fruit of the spirit is the best evidence that God's working in our lives and that we're being fruitful. And to listen, you can be as active as you want to be in church, but if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, you're not being fruitful for God. The most active people in the New Testament were who? The Pharisees. They didn't have the fruit of the Spirit. 
Dads, be careful of being active in church, but not being joyful at home. Because you're telling your children, teaching them that a life lived on the outside matters just as much. It's almost more important than just what God does to you on the inside. The fruit of the Spirit is the confirmation that God's working in your life. Maybe you don't have joy and you don't have peace. There's no gentleness there. Dads, husbands, there's no long-suffering or or patience. There's no goodness. There's no meekness. There's no self-control or temperance. You just exist without fruit. Don't settle for that life. If you value your spiritual life, make a strong relationship with God. Priority number one again. It's time to be fruitful. And as you're fruitful, guess what? He's faithful to bless you. Are you unfruitful in your service to God? We have plenty of places to serve here at Eastside. We need people to get involved, help and teach and work and hand out door hangers and get involved in discipleship. Are you being fruitful in your service to God or have you stopped valuing what he values? Don't look at the sign of God's mercy and use it as a reason to be complacent. See, look at the cross and let it motivate you to be more fruitful than you've ever been in your Christian life. And I mean, it just reminds me of Romans 12 and I mean, this wasn't listed in my notes. I don't know if this is allowed, but I'm going to do it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So when, for Noah, that's a rainbow, God's mercy. For you and me, it's a cross, God's mercy. For you and me, it's his word, God's faithfulness. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed unto this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know what the cross should do? It should not cause us to grow complacent. It should cause us to be motivated to give him our whole life. And yet many of God's people look at the token of God's mercy and they've turned into fruitless, fruitless Christians. They say, I'm settled I have his mercy. I don't have to face his judgment. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to coast it, coast the rest of my Christian life. And yet what you should do is look at the fact that God has shown you mercy, that token, that sign, and say, I certainly don't deserve anything good from God. So he's got everything from me. I mean, were the whole realm of nature mine? That were a presence far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It doesn't deserve a fruitless Christian. It deserves a fruitful Christian. And as we're fruitful, he blesses us in ways we never dream possible. You be fruitful, he'll be faithful. God is faithful to the blessings when we're fruitful, but he's also faithful to the consequences when we're not. Everyone stand please together, every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.